Hey, thank you, Kevin. Uh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. That's kind of you, but you don't have to do that. Uh, most of you guys are pretty tired. I'm sure you stayed up last night to watch the Kansas game. You do watch that? All right. So heard you guys won. So I'm old. I had to go to bed at halftime. You know, I figured, hey, you're up 25 points at halftime. If you lose, I don't want to watch it. You know what I mean? So I'm a Kentucky fan. I want to go ahead and confess that right now. So uh, we both are in the good moods. We both won. So, hey, uh, so thankful that you're here. And I have six kids, two daughters that are married. Each of them have three children. They adopted, they each adopted one. And then uh, my youngest three children we adopted, one from China, one from Ethiopia, and one from Philippines. And uh, so we have six kids from four different countries. And um, it's always funny watching people, when we walk into a restaurant, they're like, how did that happen? You know, and so I have uh, two, two of my... Uh, uh, two of my boys, my two middle boys, are both in college. One's in college out in California. Uh, he's a senior. He graduates in a month, and uh, we're very thankful for that, as long as he looks like everything's looking good for these final classes, so I think we're good. And then I have a son that's a freshman in college. And then we have our two youngest daughters, the one from China and the one from Ethiopia, junior and freshman uh, in high school. They're they're still at home, so it's just fun coming here. It's such a blessing to see you guys here. I don't mean to sound like an old guy, but uh, uh, my son's in California, and the other son's uh, in a school here in Georgia, and uh, I've got, we've got fine friends. I'm a, I'm a dad stalker, you know, a drone, and so uh, Sunday morning, I'm, you know, it's, it's about 2 o'clock Eastern time, that's what I'm on. It's about 11 o'clock his time out in California, and I can't ever help myself to flick on fine friends and just see if he made it to church or not, you know, and so uh, it's just such an encouragement to see those who, who actually, uh, actually do. Hey, I want to just share with you briefly, and I like to, to share, and then I'll open up for some questions, and I know sometimes in environments like this, it's, you know, it's a little hard to ask uh, questions. I'm going to throw it out there and give you a chance, and then if not, we can talk around the tables a bit, okay? So it's not where I'm not going to really take a, a, a verse necessarily and talk for 30 minutes and not, 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 not that type of thing today if it's okay with you i'm going to take some verses but i really want to talk about something about um making your life count being on mission in acts chapter 20 um verse 22 paul was leaving the church at ephesus he'd been with these guys for quite a while and they'd gotten really connected i mean they hung out night and day together and they had grown uh, very tight very close it reminds me somewhat of the relationships you have in, a, in, in, in your college years. You get connected to certain uh, people, those you room with, or just general friends. And it's, it's kind of a hard thing to, to leave, knowing at graduation you may not see those again. Well, that's what happened to, at the church at Ephesus. They had grown real tight with Paul. And Paul said, hey, look, guys, God's leading me to do something else. I really feel led to go to Jerusalem. And, and they began to try to talk him out of it. Like, no, no, Paul, you got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. Let's think, think through it. Perhaps they would say, you need to pray through this a little bit more. Hey, you've got such greater potential than to, to do something like that. And Paul even said, look, I prayed through it. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go there, but the Holy Spirit has told me a few things that are going to happen. I'm probably going to get beaten and thrown into prison, but I really feel like I need to go. Well, man, you can imagine as you try to discern certain decisions or opportunities that may come your way. And if you could look in the future, we can't. If you could just kind of get a glimpse, you get a sense of, look, if I take that opportunity, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get persecuted, I'm going to get beaten and thrown into prison. Well, that's probably becomes option 
X or Y, all right? Not option A or B. And, and, but that was Paul's intent to do exactly that. Because he goes on in the next verse and says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, but that I might complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I love that verse. Because what he's simply saying, look, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Not that my life's not worth anything. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, it's not really mine to decide here. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to him. It's not about me. It's all about him. I consider my life worth nothing to me. I just want to serve the Lord. But that I might complete the task. So as you prepare uh, to launch out of college, or even if you're a senior and you're about ready to, you've heard this before, but it's, it really isn't about money. Uh, it, it really isn't. At the end of the day, man, I've seen some of the most miserable people I've pastored were the, some of uh, the, the wealthiest. And some of the, I've seen some of them been some of the happiest. It just wasn't about money. It wasn't about what they did. It was about who they did it for. And that's just what I want to encourage you today. I'm at the, at the North American Mission Board. We're about trying to plant churches. Our goal is to plant 1,200 churches a year. That's 100 a month. That's 20 to 25 every Sunday. Every Sunday you come in here, we're on average launching about 20 to 25 churches. Your church is very strategic in launching churches all over North America, especially in New York City. And, uh, but I want you to, to uh, consider something about being on mission, it's not about not doing what you've trained to do. It's about doing what you've trained to do, but just where you're going to do it and being on mission. If you're studying to be an engineer, I want you to be an engineer. But is there a chance that you consider praying about going to Pittsburgh or going to Philadelphia or going to New York City and being very strategic and coming alongside a church planner and being a part of that church plant for two, for two years? Hey, before I forget it, I want to ask you, to, if you if you got a phone, if you got a phone, all right, if you would, <laughs> that was not a trick question. Uh, if you got a phone, take that phone out just real quick. I know I told me, normally tell you to put them up, but I want you to take it out just real quick. And this is so I don't forget. I want you to text um, 77948. And I'll tell you what to text 77948. And then I want you to text this. Go the number to years text that two seven seven nine four eight all right that's just to give you a link you can look at it later but i want to tell you something about go to we have a strategy for students that did not come up should, should come up seven seven nine four eight put go to the number two years and it should throw you back a little link here's what i want you to show it's to show you kind of a pathway and our prayer, if you're a freshman, this is how we would love to see your college experience go. Now, for the sake, for me, so it's easy to remember, I do it like a bow tie, all right? That's pretty easy to, to remember. But your college experience is something like this. And then post-college, okay? We normally encourage your first 30 to 60 days um, in college is really the most critical Many of you perhaps engaged in this church or in this youth group, uh, this college group, 
Now, the first 60 days, if you don't after that, the percentage of potential engagement in college ministry goes significantly down after that first semester for sure, but typically after the first 60 days. So most collegiate groups do everything they possibly can to, to connect you the first 60 days. That helps you know that even next semester as students come, you want to be all in on trying to reach um, those new students those first 60 days to engage them here, okay? That being said, you have freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year. You get the idea there. Each of these lines represents summers, okay? Can you see? This is your first summer after your freshman year. We just encourage you to, to do a North American um, a mission trip. We, we have something called Gen Sin, Generation Sin, Gen Sin. Um, you'll have opportunities here. I just inc strongly encourage you to take your summers and use them strategically. Now, what we do with Gen Send, if you do something like that, uh, uh, 10 of you together or 15 of you together can go to New York City or Denver or Seattle or, or Portland and spend the uh, summer together as a group and go come alongside a church planner or go to one of our sin relief centers. Like in, uh, we have uh, uh, ministry centers that take care of poverty or if it's sex trafficking in New Orleans and Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, I mean uh, Las Vegas. Uh, we have opportunities like that all over North America, but just to do something nationally your first, uh, first summer. Then the second summer, after your sophomore year, to do something internationally. Again, I know Lakeside provides all sorts of opportunities, and uh, to do something internationally here, or we have the IMB is another really good option. There are a lot of really good options out there. And then, at the summer after your junior year, we encourage you to do an internship. In a church, not necessarily. What we encourage you to do is is hopefully, if you've gone to a Denver or New York City or Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, and I just say that because uh, I keep mentioning these cities because 85% uh, uh, of North America's population live in and around cities. Do you know that? 85% of North America's population live in and around cities. That's where we have to focus if we're going to reach North America. The majority of Southern Baptists, which is this church is a part of, that family, evangelicals primarily, are in the South. Most Southern Baptists are in the SEC and the ACC. It's the other conferences that are going to hell, and we've got to reach them, all right? <laughs> so our hope is that, hey, look at it on the map. Just trust me, it's, 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 it's true, all right? What we want you to do is consider to do an internship in your field of study and after your junior year. And we can help you do it. In, in, you want to do something? In, we have a, a girl that's in nursing now in Denver. And she went through Denver. She makes, uh, she's making over $100,000 now working in a surgical nurse uh, in Denver, but did an apprenticeship. You go out there, do an apprenticeship that summer, and then obviously it comes time for you to graduate. And this is the 90 days after graduation. It's kind of, we just call it transitional. Uh, days where you're uh, hopefully by then you know you have a close to getting a job but you're transitioning moving there and all that and then this is called go to all right go to and this is gen sent on our in our little format go to is where you make a commitment to say you know i even if you're senior or even if you're a freshman you know that's what i'm going to do when i graduate i'm going to make a commitment for two years after graduation to be in intensely missional uh, with what I do. We still want you to get a job in accounting or engineering or a school teaching job in New York. We want you to do that. We just want you to, to give two years to do it very strategically in a place as a 
missionary. We call it the, the uh, Mormonization of the Southern Baptist Convention. All right? And uh, it's like uh, we're doing it without the bicycles, but we just encourage you uh, to give year one and year two. And again, it's just for you to think strategic. And it's easy as a default to say, well, I'll just go back to, you know, where I'm from. That's fine. If you want to go back within that 30-mile race or wherever, I get that. But at least if you already begin to think, you know, in two years, I can give two years. I can do two years. On the other end, we're trying to get folks who are retiring at the end of their um, uh, work life, if they would consider giving two years on the end of that. And we have an assistant DA who uh, in Tennessee that just shifted and went to uh, a church in the Northeast um, just to invest their life in missions. So I just want to encourage you. When I talk about missions, I'm not talking about somebody who's a full-time missionary in another country. That's fantastic if God leads you to do that. I'm not talking about a full-time church planner in a city in North America. I'm just talking about every person in here has the opportunity to be very missional. And then where does that start? Well, again, when Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, but that I might complete the task that he's given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Well, what does that mean? Again, I'm talking to you about once you graduate or now as a student, but really it talks about today. I mean, right now, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Being missional starts right now. Being very intentional, even about sharing your faith. And that's not something often that, that uh, comes natural for uh, some of us. We get a little nervous about sharing our faith. But I want to ask you something very specifically. I, I'm, I meant to bring some cards with me, and I did not. You can text yourself and remind you the name if you want. Um, but so often when we do ministry or even we do missions, we do missions in bulk. I mean, we talk about North America, and we talk about um, the world, or we even talk about a, a country or a city in a particular country. But today, I really want us to just, uh, all those concentric circles of concern and prayer, let's just bring them all back into the very middle. And I just want you to not think about a country, not think about a city um, or even a town. I want you to think about one. And I want you to ask yourself, who is your one? Who is your one person that you would commit to begin to pray for uh, and, and ask God to give you an opportunity to share your faith with? Um, who is your one? Hopefully every one of you have a one. And you may, but you never designate as your one. But today I just want you to think about, and, and again, uh, we'll do this at the tables here in a minute for everybody just to verbalize the first name if you want or if it's too much of a giveaway. Uh, mine, one, is, uh, his name's Chris, Chris Bacon. And uh, a very distant neighbor that I just I have to almost stalk him to, to get him outside to see if I can uh, build a relationship because he knows what I do, and so there's a little bit of uh, a challenge there of uh, I, I almost knowing uh, that I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm exactly trying to do, uh, to, connect, to connect with him. But I just want to encourage you, who is your one that you would at least begin to pray for and ask uh, God to give you an opportunity. This past weekend, my, my daughter had a, a girl over uh, Friday night, and uh, it was her one. And uh, it was just neat to see even my high school daughters to, to be very intentional. My whole point here is Paul was very intentional with his life. I consider my life worth nothing to me, 
but that I complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, uh, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That starts today. Who's your one? But also, I want you to think, uh, as we think missionally, think very intentionally with, with your life. I know in my life, there are certain things I had a plan, and it, nothing worked out as if I planned it. Most graduates will tell you that, that uh, it's, you need to have a plan, but just don't be so confined or so limiting that, that, you would, uh, that, that God might not shift you somewhere uh, else. Let me give you, give you a few stories. Um, one about a guy named Dan Coleman. Dan Coleman's in, in Augusta, Maine, of all places. And that's where he actually grew up and was working maintenance in an apartment complex. Had a college degree and would have trouble finding something in his particular field. And so his wife uh, uh, found a, a, of an apartment there and started working maintenance. In doing that, he began to uh, plant a church. And doing that, he uh, got a, basically, it looked like a two-car garage um, that he just, they were stuffing people in. And I happened to meet him when I went uh, to a church in Florida, and they were having a missions fair and, and having me speak. And I was looking for some uh, mints. And so I went in the gym, and they had an missions fair. They have everybody have their cardboard, uh, you know, trifles up, talking about what they do. And I saw this one said, Main Church Planning. And uh, so I said, hey, man, tell me about main church planting. Because, again, he had cements, and that's what I needed. And so uh, he began to tell me that main church planting is basically me. And I said, you? What do you mean? And there's 1.4 million people in Maine. There's only about 18 uh, or 19 SBC churches there, all right? 1.4 million. He said, I started this church in a two-car garage. I said, well, how many can you get in there? And he said, about 65 or 70. I said, well, how many are you running? He said, 200. It's like, well, how do you do that if it only seats 65 or 70? He says, we have three services in this two-car garage. I said, that's, that's just incredible. And so he showed me pictures of it, and, and I said, well, what are you going to do now in Augusta, Maine? It's, again, it's the capital of Maine. No, what are you going to do? It's the only evangelical church there. He said, we've looked for facilities, and we, schools aren't options here. And uh, we just, we don't know. There is a Catholic church uh, in Augusta, Maine. Just went belly up. And, uh, but, the, and, but they want 1.8 million for their facility. It seats about 500 and has a home connected to it for the priest. And so uh, uh, he didn't know that I was with the North American Mission Board at the time. And so um, I said, well, man, I'll be praying for you. I took the mints. And then during the service, when they asked, introduced me to speak, he realized that I was uh, with, uh, I, we actually plant in his church and uh uh long story short we have a, a loan department at, at the north american mission board where i work and uh the loan department it's basically all they do is service church plant loans and try to help we give loans to people who typically can't get them okay and so i said hey call augusta maine see how much you can buy that church for they want it well for 1.8 um uh, just see if that's really the case. Sure enough, they said, hey, that they want 1.8, and uh, they seem pretty solid on it. So we'll offer them the lowest possible amount you can offer without being offensive. And uh, these guys are really good at it. They offered uh, $400,000 cash, and they took it. And it was crazy. I often tell people, man, uh, uh, the Pope dresses nice, but he's not a good negotiator, just so you know, all right? <laughs> we can take advantage of that guy. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
For, I'm just kidding. Do not tweet that or, uh, or Snapchat it or whatever you do, all right? But, the, uh, but, but seriously, we bought it for $400,000. So that was a fun, fantastic phone call to be able to call Dan and say, hey, Dan, um, we just bought that church. And so we, we called three or four churches, friends of ours, like, like uh, uh, Lakeside is. We, they, these happen to be up in the northeast. And say, hey, can you all meet in Maine and help us namatize? That's a NAM joke. Um, uh, North American Mission Board, NAM. Uh, sorry. sorry. I, I, I'm not, my wife says I'm not funny. I just haven't admitted it yet. But, uh, but we namatized. We took out the fountains and all the, the, uh, the stuff that they didn't really need. And put them in there. Well, that was about two years ago. Now they run over 1,600 on Sundays. And are in multiple services there in Augusta, Maine. Now, why did I tell you all that? Here's a guy working maintenance in an apartment. And since thought, my word, I went to school to, to do this particular thing. And God has me doing something that's far, we would, he would think, perhaps beneath him. But it was exactly where God wanted him to be. At exactly the right time and the place. And now... He's pastoring a church five, six times larger than he ever dreamed and even think he would be a pastor. And uh, it's amazing what God can do when you're just open and uh, uh, willing uh, to be obedient to him. It's really all about being uh, obedient. And that's very difficult at times. Um, As you know, uh, sometimes, as, as Paul just said, Look, I don't know all that I'm going to experience, but I have been warned that it's going to be tough. And I perhaps will even in, in prison. I may end up in chains. But if that's what God wants me to do, man, so be it. I'm going to be faithful and obedient. And I say that because I realize, and some of you, if uh, God calls you to be intentional, which I believe he calls everybody to be intentional, um, and you do go somewhere in the Northeast or Midwest or West, um, man, that's going to cause you some issues in your and your family, they invest a lot of money for you to go to school for four years and with the hopes that you'd come back and be close. And I remember when I asked my um, father-in-law if I could marry his daughter, he said, uh, uh, sure, as long as you don't take her very far from me. And then the very next thing I had to tell him was I'm about to move to Texas to go to seminary. And so that was a, a challenging thing. My point is simply this. If you're going to be obedient, you've got to be focused on being obedient regardless of, of what might might come we have uh, at nam we have uh, the deeds to the majority of the churches in cuba in our vault um it's kind of strange to some to think that there was a lady right now is a around this pre-easter time is something called the annie armstrong uh, offering and that's that all that money goes to support missions in north america there was a lady named annie armstrong who went to cuba and she began to buy up different facilities and she really was uh, far ahead in her missional thinking she bought a theater in downtown havana cuba right next door to the capital and that that now is a church called calvary it's one of the largest churches in cuba i was there not long ago and they had a national convention in cuba of all the pastors it was packed it was had the the main seating and had two balconies because it was a theater it was hilarious on the third floor they had a printing uh, that was where they had they called uh, cuba uh, national christian publications or something like that and it was basically one of those old copiers they had and the guy says uh, uh dr Rizel, you write books you write books 
That's the best Cuban I can do. He said, uh, I said, uh, no, I read books. I don't really write books. He goes, if you ever write book, we copyright. I said, do what? You copyright? He goes, yes, you write book, we copy. And uh, they had books over there on a copier, running it through there, and then passing them out to their pastors. It was, uh, it was again, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but... <laughs> But what was amazing in, in Cuba, years ago when Castro took over, uh, he came in and said, no more churches, no more churches. I'm like, no more churches, what do you mean? He says, no, you, can, you cannot build any more churches. You can't even add on to a church. You can't add a bathroom onto a church. No more churches. And he, what he thought he would do is just get rid of all of these Christians. But that didn't happen. He told them, no more churches, but you can meet in your homes. Again, he was trying to be very strategic because he thought, you know, if I can get them to spread out, then I'll just dilute them. You know, they'll evaporate if I get them spread out thin enough. And so he told them they could meet in their homes. Well, they started cramming people in their homes. Well, this really irritated him. And so he came out with a, a government regulation, an edict, if you will, and says, all right, no more than 50. No more than 50. And like, no more than 50? What do you mean no more than 50? He says, no, the maximum you can have in a house is 50. You get to 50, you have to go to another house and start another one. They're like, seriously? And so, sure enough, that was the edict, and that's what they did. And it began to actually multiply. Well, he thought, I'll spread them out, and they'll evaporate. That didn't happen. So he came out with a new edict and says, all right, no more than, no more, no more than 25. When you get to 25, you have to, to go to another house and Start another one. And as you can just guess, they began to multiply like crazy. And this Cuban pastor with tears in his eyes says, oh, he says, God has started a church planning movement in Cuba. And he used a communist leader to do it. And what he was simply saying is our churches would never have multiplied like that on their own. And the fact that they were made to by a government official, that, that God used what we would never have dreamed of being something that God brought our way uh, to do something uh, incredible. I've often told people, if this was when Castro was living, um, if I ever get to pastor again, that I was going to get Castro to be my education minister, you know, because so, it would take a communist leader to get some Sunday school classes to multiply, you know, and so, but uh, it, it's incredible what God will do with your faithfulness. And that again, that's all I'm saying. I just want you to be very intentional. Let me tell you another story just real quick about um, uh, another school, if you will, Iowa State. Um, in Iowa State, there's a church, much like yours, uh, called Cornerstone. Cornerstone wanted to have a ministry to the students at Iowa State, and they were campus ministries, but they started a, a, a service on Thursday nights. Now, on any Thursday night, you go to Ames, Iowa, uh, the Cornerstone, there'll be about 1,800 to 2,000 students that show up uh, at about 7, 30, 8 o'clock on a Thursday night. It's crazy. But they fly in there, and what they've done, is they've come up with a system where they disciple students throughout um, those four years that they have um, at Iowa State with the hopes that when they graduate, they would go. So it's not only go for two years, it's go G-O-T-O-O, -O, where they want to go with groups and 15 or 20 i met one morning at six o'clock with a small group and it was uh 
20 guys who were all going to go to the University of Wisconsin and plant a church on the University of Wisconsin. So here's what they would do. They very intentionally, as freshman group or sophomore or junior, very strategically get them together and say, look, when you graduate in two years, let's begin to pray where we're going to plant a church. What they've done is, if you could look at Iowa State, they've planted a church at Northern Iowa. They've planted a church at University of Iowa. They've planted a church in Michigan State. They've planted one at Kansas University. They've planted one at Penn State. I could just go all over. They've, they've multiplied themselves 15 times, at least 15 collegiate plants, by sending people out in, in clumps in these community groups. And that, uh, when I was driving here this morning, I thought, man, this is, uh, it's, it's such an easy comparison for you guys to be right here, so close to uh, a college campus. Um, over 25 million college students uh, there are in North America. And to be very strategic, even now as a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, thinking about where you're going to go, but not go alone, but possibly go uh, with your friend group and invest in a particular city or a particular country. Um, I just want to consider, I want you to prayerfully consider being on mission. And remember Paul said in Acts 20, I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's not about you. It's really not about your mom or your dad. About grandma, grandpa, or we, we love them all. Um, it's really about what God's going to use you to do and where he's going to use you to do it. So... That being said, I want to give a little time for some Q&A, and then we'll also have some discussion around the tables. But um, anybody have any just general questions about uh, uh, investing two years or any of the cities, or I can talk about any of that you want to talk about. Just trying to be a little bit focused. Anybody at all? Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's a great question. It was Big Stone Gap, Virginia, um, and uh, I, I had absolutely no intention of, uh, of, of saying anything. The, I remember our leader come up and says, uh, you're going to share your testimony tonight. And I said, absolutely not. Um, I paid to come on this trip. I didn't pay to do that, all right? I am not going to do that. I says, no, you're, you're going to, I'll never forget uh, being pushed up there and being scared to death. I was so afraid to speak in public um, that that I in fifth grade I didn't take public speaking. I took uh, shop and home ec uh, to avoid speech class. We called it back then. And um, uh, so, but I remember Big Stone Gap. Man, I'll never forget. Um, I'll never for, for, forget that. I, and somebody had to push me to do something that was way outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, to be able to uh, to ever do the next thing. And uh, also, uh, probably something similar to that, when I went to seminary, I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a student minister, and and uh, God did not open the doors for that when I went to seminary. And, and so I put in an application, like, look, I'll be a student minister. I don't need to, I, I don't have to make money. I just want to learn some, have some experience. A church called me um, uh, in Mineral Wells, Texas, to preach and and uh man we just got i just got married and and uh i had a youth bible study and i thought well i'll wear it out so i went and we need the money practically it was going to give me a hundred dollars for that sunday so i went and preached this church and the sermon lasted about five minutes and i mean i preached everything i had and it was five minutes and uh 
So that, that you'll start breaking out in a sweat when you know you're, you're supposed to cover at least 30 minutes and you're five minutes and you're done, you know. And so I, I started saying, you know, if you feel like you need to pray more, raise your hand, you know. If you feel like, yeah, I, just, I was thinking of anything I possibly could just to delay, you know, and circling the airport, just trying to hold off. And uh, I, I ended about eight minutes in. And I made a hundred bucks. That's probably I made more money in that particular time frame I ever have in my entire life, perhaps, but, uh, per hour. But uh, my wife confessed later that she called her mother and said, uh, "This pastoring is not an option for us. You know, it, this this is not going to work." And long story short, next time I got a call from a church that um, uh, voted me in seven to zero. Uh, Seven to zero as being their pastor in a little church called Hilltop Baptist Church on Northeast 28th Street in Fort Worth. And it was my only unanimous call. It was the second time. And I actually got a, you remember some of the King James Bibles? I had a Schofield Study Bible. You probably don't know what those are. But it had some notes in there about Peter walking on the water. And again, I was doing it for practical. We were married. I needed the money, and so they need somebody to preach. There were only seven people who could mess that up. So I went, looked in that Bible, and did the notes. And uh, I'll never forget, it was about Peter walking on the water. And I remember saying, he, he, instead of standing on the promises, he was sinking in his circumstances. You know? and, and I got so nervous that I began to quote uh, songs. That I remember there's a song, Truth. Again, it's an older group you probably never heard of. Uh, called uh, the church triumphant. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made a mistake of thinking that because he'd forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, that he'd steal his voice and snuffed out his life. But no, God has always had a people. A powerful current of rushing rivers, not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. It's the purest water that I'm not going to hit you. I promise. And uh, <laughs> but I went into this song, and my wife is back there, like, oh my. God. Gosh, he's quoting a song, you know. And what's so funny is at the end of this song, it's like a lonely missionary sold that seed with confidence. Discouraged pastor, it's his church and it's alive. Lonely missionary, I mean, a, a, a single mother. And it, it, we go through all these different people. Well, there are like nine people you mentioned. There are only seven there, you know. And it was uh, terrible. But they voted me in seven to zero. And uh, people often laugh about that. I said, don't, because we were actually on national TV. And don't underestimate, we were on the show Cops, uh, What You're Going to Do When They Come For You, that one, because people had broken into our church, we were on Cops twice, and so uh, <laughs> it was so funny, we had, we had, uh, we, it was so bad, we put a, a sign on the door, it said, uh, door open, please come in, uh, just so they wouldn't break it down. Our budget was $12,000 a year, um, 12000 a year, and uh so anyway, there, we, we wanted to come into the church to see that we had absolutely nothing at all that they would want. The only thing we had was an organ, and they were more than welcome to take it. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a really, really a, a, a challenge. My point is this. The things God uses in, his, in your life, like a Big Stone Gap or a miserable experience in Mineral Wells, Texas, that leads to something at Northeast uh, 28th Street, Hilltop, with just seven people there. Um, man, I look back now, and I'm so thankful, so thankful uh, to have those opportunities and how God uh, used those opportunities to, to take me to the very next thing. I just, about three weeks ago, um, was uh, in Tennessee and drove by a place. It means nothing to you. It's called Crossroads, Crossroads Baptist Church. It's, it's halfway between Bells, Tennessee, and Alamo. And um, I remember interviewing with them, and uh, they turned me 
uh, told me no or just turned me down because they were looking for somebody with more experience. And it was just a reminder again of how I'm so thankful for God's yes. I'm so thankful, so thankful though for God's no's and for thankful for his wait or just not now or hey, you need to read, you know, just adjustments here and there. And so many times in my life when I got ahead and tried to make the decisions and manipulate things, it just never, it would never work out real well. When I finally just uh, rest in the fact that, hey, he's got this, um, then uh, it seemed to work out. We had, we never had a game plan of having six kids from four different countries. Um, but one led to the second, and the second led to a third, and, and then my, my daughters have, uh, adopted there are certain things in our life that just one step led to the next and uh, I just want to encourage you to think about your next step don't get so focused on your fifth and sixth um, because there are certain things down the road you say well I would never do that uh, because I did say I would never pass or I would never do this or that and then God just says well we'll see about it we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way and uh, um, so just your next one step at a time that's a long answer to your a big stone, my first opportunity. But anybody else? Any other any question? That's a great one. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. Right. That's per man, that's perfect. That's even better. As most people, um, uh, those are more challenging. Obviously, when you go for sometimes six months or a year and then move around. The hope, hope, our whole go-to department is to help you. Like say, hey, look, uh, I'm in, I'm in Birmingham, but I'm moving to Huntsville. Instead of just going and trying to fill your way, you could call our go-to department, and they say, look. Here's three missional opportunities. Not that any church in Huntsville wouldn't be a missional opportunity. But here are three church plants. We just focus on plants. And church plants need people. They need body mass. They need people who are coming alongside them. Like a, uh, your church planters in New York City, it's nice to have an extra 5 or 10 or 15, 20 people who are on mission helping get that thing uh, started. So we can just help you locate where those are. And you just let us know. Um, that's the reason on there. It's about learn more but also to let us help you connect. And that's not only national. Uh, you can do it internationally, too. You know, if you go to Dubai, and then you're going to... Uh, my daughter was in China for two years um, as a missionary and then ended up now working with internationals in, in Clarkston, Georgia. So, I mean, um, the whole idea is you just let us know, and, and that's even better. I've, I've told the guys, especially this time of your life, you have more opportunity to test the waters and things. Uh, we had one of our uh, guys just went to Salt Lake City, and, uh, again, has a business degree and uh, opened up a business. Have you seen the Regis workspaces? You've seen those uh, workspaces where uh, entrepreneurs can buy an office, if you will, kind of in a Starbucks but with offices, and they go there and they have larger meeting rooms. And, and what we did out in Salt Lake City, they won't, they won't let us. <clears throat> Salt Lake City is much like China for us in North America. They won't let us just rent or buy things. And so we... Uh, we out, rented a facility. We turned it into a uh, Regis type of a workspace. And, and what I mean by that is you take this big space and you've got a room over here for 300. And then you've got a bunch of smaller rooms, you know, for 50. And it, it basically you lay it out like a church. 
And then you have these offices that you sell to different people. Well, ours in Salt Lake City actually makes money, all right? Uh, but we have a church there on Sunday mornings uh, called Hope in Salt Lake City. It runs several hundred now that couldn't get a facility, and now they, they can't. And, but we have a guy that has a business degree that's running that business, if you will. And so we, don't, we can't put those on Annie Armstrong videos and things because uh, it obviously gives away what we're doing if, if uh, you know, Salt Lake City knows. <clears throat> we, we just do it um, much like you do in an international setting. And you know what's amazing? If you have a heart for international uh, missions, let's, it, there's never been a greater time to do international missions, I believe, than now and never a greater time to do it in North America than now. My daughter's from Ethiopia, and I've been to Addis Ababa. That's the, the capital of Ethiopia. The largest city, the largest population of Ethiopians is in Addis Ababa. You know where the second largest population of Ethiopians are? It's not in Ethiopia. It's in Washington, D.C. Hundreds of thousands. And so I could tell you different uh, nationalities, different ethnicities um, uh, all over North America. That now, if you want to... To, to go and minister Somalians, I can tell you where thousands and thousands of those are in places you perhaps would never suspect outside Nashville, Tennessee. So um, there's just many opportunities uh, to do that even without having to go somewhere and without having to even learn another language because they're second generation and have learned English. All right, somebody else. Yes, sir. Uh, I know race is a big topic in the United States. Today. Yeah. Uh, man, that's a that's a that's a great question. There absolutely is. Um, one, uh, how NAM is organized. If I do a little org chart here, um, it's like this: we have evangelism up here, and then we, our church planning arm is called Send Network. Okay, Send Network, and then we have Compassion Mercy is Send Relief. Okay, uh, Send Relief. Tries to meet needs and change lives. That would be with poverty, foster care and adoption, sex trafficking, crisis response, disaster relief, that type of thing. It's kind of a compassion, mercy, sin relief. Sin Network is the uh, church planning network, and uh, Dahadi Lewis is the it, it leads that. Um, he's an African American pastor. Was in a Blueprint in Atlanta, and we we have. Um, Specific churches that we plant that are Hispanic and uh, certain ethnicities, but but what we we try to do is plant churches that are multirational. Um, and what's amazing is again, even in doing that, you think when you do that, you send uh, you have to find the right person. You do, but I think about a guy like Matt Hess. Matt Hess is in a church outside Toronto. I met Matt Hess in Collierville, Tennessee, about four years ago. He said, "My name is Matt Hess." And I'm, I'm from Collierville. I'm an ex-Marine. And God has called me to Toronto. And uh, I've never heard Toronto with five syllables. But, and I said, well, how about that? Of course, my thought, first thought was, man, we, we have got to find higher, higher caliber people. You know? And, and, uh, and, and uh, Matt is fantastic. I mean, you're talking about he, he really, uh, he's entrepreneurial. And he just had incredibly southern, well, I thought that would never fit in Toronto. If you go to his church now outside uh, Toronto, um, they run hundreds. They've already planted another church. And it's the most multiracial church we have. And mainly because uh, he's such a humble, self-deprecating type of, 
uh, and it works really well in Canada. And uh, um, so, absolutely. What most people don't realize, we, we plant, we, again, our goal is to plant 1,200 churches a year. Last year, 62.5% of our churches were non-Anglo. And so we're already at two-thirds, roughly right, uh, close to two-thirds of them being non-Anglo. Great question. Really good question. Um, any others? Yes, sir. Detroit, Michigan. Um, it's just because it's hard to get somebody to move there. You know, it's just uh, Detroit is very hard. There's a guy right now, Travis Whitaker, is one of our very best uh, church planners. Went out there. His church, his, they've been two years in, and uh, they run about 500. They just launched another campus. And what we do now, because uh, it's so hard to get guys to go plant, so like a Travis is in Detroit, um, say right here, he just planted another campus over here. And so they'll have a service here, then drive 20 minutes and do another service over, over there. And uh, they had 300 last Sunday at, at that campus for the very first Sunday. And then they got a notice from the city that there were far too many people in that um, facility, in that parking. They were, they were going to be fined. Like today, they're going to worship there, but they're being fined um, every Sunday that they're there because it, they're breaking ordinance because so many people showed up. They had no idea that many people would show up. And now we've got to scramble to find somewhere else. But it's just very difficult. It's a very depressed area in Detroit. Salt Lake City has been hard. For some reason, Pittsburgh was hard. But right now, it's making a comeback. Of, we've got uh, four or five incredible planners. What we found is if you get um, a four or five star, like a high-capacity planner, go to a city, they attract other high-capacity planners. And uh, we can establish a hub. What our strategy is is you go to... Uh, you go to Pittsburgh, let's just say, because it's one of the toughest in the, the Northeast. You go to Pittsburgh, and, and uh, we found Rob Wilton is planting a church in Easter. They're launching this Easter, okay? And actually launching in two campuses uh, on the same day. So you have two campuses. We're, we want to have ultimately five churches in Pittsburgh and should have in the next two years. Those will be hubs. And the idea for the hubs is they grow to about 300, 400. Then you take 50 out of this one or 100 and go launch another. And uh, what's so hard is you take Pittsburgh has 2 million, over 2 million people. And honestly, um, before Rob got there, there was maybe one other place you could go, and they ran about 100. And there's just not options. And, and people just, uh, that, when I mentioned earlier, um, I wasn't trying to be just, I, well, I was trying to be funny, but 85% of the people are in the South. In the SEC and the ACC. And, and so anywhere in the Northeast, Canada is very difficult. Salt Lake City is challenging, obviously. We've just got 10 to 12 new plants there. And uh, in the West, it's very, it's very uh, challenging because it's just so expensive. Um, in New York, I just got a call from a planner yesterday. In Brooklyn, they're wanting to uh, um, buy a facility. But it, and it's going to seat about 400 people. And it's $17 million is what they want for the facility. I mean, it's... It's just crazy. When you go to rent an apartment in New York City, I mean, you, you're spending a couple thousand dollars for, you know, 500 square feet. It's just very, very, very uh, challenging. And so that's why um, we've not done the hard play. The Nineveh is really now, instead of uh, a Wales, it's more high rent is the whale of the day, you know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just very, very challenging and difficult. Um, and that's why we need bivocational pastors. That's why I want to encourage you guys, bivocational planners. Over half of our planners are bivocational or what we call co-vocational. One of our best church planners is a guy named Marino. He's a surgeon, 
in Tallahassee, Florida, and he uh, did a surgery the other day, uh, and then went, preached his sermon, went back to the hospital to check on his patient. And uh, he's going to be Bible, or what we call co-vocational, means I'm going to do this uh, for the rest of my life, both of these. And uh, you think, well, that's something, I'd be, there's just no way I could possibly do it. Some of you lead small groups, and I mean, each of your tables, I mean, table number 12 would be equal to uh, a core group for one of our church plans, and where you got seven, eight people, and you get together on a Sunday night, and have, I'm sorry, I'm getting so close to doing that. Um, my peripheral vision is not what it used to be, but uh, the, that is a church plant in a city, and then they build up to 20 or 25 or 30 and 50, and then uh, they may start another one in another apartment complex. The problem is, like, you know, you, get, you guys are so spoiled in a sense. It's so beautiful here and spacious, and man, what an incredible facility. These don't exist in the Northeast. Uh, they don't unless they're just uh, defunct uh, synagogues or our, our Catholic churches, which is really, right now we have, we have a church right outside Harvard, and right there at the square, right outside Harvard, and they have three services on Sunday in an old Presbyterian church. It's just incredible. If you go there, uh, it's just amazing. They pack it in every Sunday, and we're just trying to find anything we can to have, help people meet in any way they possibly can. So, man, great, great, great question. Appreciate that, but that's my signal. All right. <laughs> Hey, thank you guys. Appreciate your time.